either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. One mighty big release to talk about this week, but some good stuff underneath that, some smaller movies to talk about too, so let's do it. Welcome, this is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com, and where else are we going to start? But with John Wick uncovering a path to defeating the high table, but before he can earn his freedom, he must face off against a new enemy with powerful alliances across the globe and forces that turn old friends into foes. It's John Wick, Chapter 4. This hit goes out to you, Mr. Wick. Woke up this morning. 42 regular, wasn't it? Yeah. And so it begins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Living in this time behind enemy lines, so I got mine. I hope you Challenge you to single combat. If you win, you'll have your freedom. And when I see you, I'm gonna take what I want, so. Amen. All right, now this is where I make the confession, been making for years now, that when the first John Wick came out, I was not that impressed. I remember, I think I saw it maybe in the same week or definitely the same couple of weeks as the first Equalizer. Mm -hmm. And I thought as an action film, the first Equalizer was better. I didn't think there was really anything that differentiated John Wick, and I had no idea what it was going to turn into. Turn into, but the great thing is, and this movie, this number four, keeps it going. Every film has gotten better. Yeah, every film has, and I, and I was trying to think. I've been trying to think of any franchise that can say that. That's and tough. I think this is the only one. And um, the the thing about it, I think, is that what the second one, and then the third one, and then the fourth one have all managed to do is to to take what was really good. And kind of leave behind things that were not right each time. And and the the great the the best thing about the first John Wick movie, um, although Keanu Reeves is great, the idea of the dog, love that. But the best thing is that hotel. Yes, and, and I, that I did, idea. Yeah. I did say that at the time. Oh yeah, I said I want to see something about this hotel, the Continental. Yeah, right away. Right. And I mean, it was such a fascinating idea. Wait, there's a whole network of of assassins, oh, and they I, all have I loved these. it. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was so cool. And so that's really. Not only was that a cool idea, and it was, but it, it gave the whole franchise a reason, an opportunity to embrace the entire rich, glorious history of assassin action films. Yeah, um, international assassin action films, and so you know they just rotate in giant, massive um, stars yeah. from the genre from all over the world. To battle John Wick, and then what that then does is allows director Chad Stahelski, who came up from action, he was an action right. stunt coordinator, exactly. to to create these set pieces that are just mind-blowing. And that's the thing that, that I remember from the first one. I remember reviewing the first one and, and noting that he had come over from Stunt World, and I thought, for, at least for that first one... It really wasn't that groundbreaking, you know, of to, to expect from a stuntman. But boy, things have really amped up, and so now this is just this is just glorious. Yeah, and each film is longer than the one before as well. And I've already seen some people complain about that. And this one is well over two hours yeah, long. It's almost like, three. Yeah, it's almost three hours long. It didn't feel it to me. Right. It's it's incredibly well choreographed. One of the things that I liked about it so so much is that you get to see 
other characters beat each other up. So there's like <laughs> there are so many different people coming after John Wick that some of them are trying to kill other of them so that they have better leverage to get to John Wick. And that has well, what it really did was to allow um, Donnie Yen from yes. from Ip Man. That uh, I, I can't believe that it took us four sequels before we got to have just, him in one of these movies. I was just going to say that this seems l- well overdue. Oh yeah, doesn't and, it? and so worth it. I mean, it's such it's so worth the wait, and he gets to have a lot of his own uh, really ex- excellent action sequences that don't involve Keanu Reeves, um, which is just nice. It's just nice to see. It is. And the other thing about it, well, just back to Donnie Yen, he's also really funny, you know, in a very wry, sort of laid-back, world-wearied kind of a way. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a great character. And, of course, you've also got some longtime faces. Number one, of course, Lance Reddick. Oh, yeah. Who's been there. And that's so adds a a, a really bittersweet touch yeah, really, uh, to really see does. him again and send him a fond farewell. But and of then, course, Ian McShane, Ian McShane, and um, Lawrence Fishburne, right? Of course, yeah, they're uh, all back. But and then, then you've got the new, a big new face, a big new villain in Bill Sarsgaard, right? Yeah, and you know he's, I gotta say, his French accent it's a little <laughs> dubious, but. You know, um, he just fits the bill really, really well. Is this just incredibly, just diabolically wealthy, privileged human being? Um, the way they costume him is perfect. The set design in this film is so astonishingly mm-hmm. gorgeous. The shot selection. And um, I will say the shot selections also don't shy away from not just homaging like you say, the history of these types of movies. Oh, they absolutely do that, yeah. Martial arts movies. But also in the first, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, there's a direct homage to that very famous cut scene in Lawrence of Arabia Mm. where they went from the the match to the sunset, Mm -hmm. boom, boom. I mean, yeah, they're all over the place, and it's so gorgeous. I mean, you'll get a nod to the Warriors in it as well. Yeah, it's it's just such a a joy. If, if, If a killing spree like this can be joyful about the movies, that's what it is. Oh, absolutely. Every image is so gorgeous. It's so colorful. It's so, and and even the, and there is this back to back to back to back, unbelievably gorgeously choreographed action sequences, as mm-hmm. you expect at this point. But one of the things that kills me is like the, the imagery of just sort of decadence and luxury that frame the or that are the backdrop to the just the exposition scenes, mm-hmm. the brief scenes where somebody's explaining something to you is like in a cathedral or with, you know, it, the, it, just amazing art behind you. It is an absolutely gorgeous movie to watch and yeah. quite a bloodletting. <laughs> yeah, it's really not worth going into why John Wick has to fight for it. it of course, has to do with the marquee played by Bill Skarsgård and all that. But you know the point, especially if you've seen the trailer. He's got to fight for his freedom and fight pretty much everyone like he's been doing now since since day one. And they, you know, stole the car and messed with his dog. But it is a good point to what wonder whether you, we can name another franchise that has gotten incrementally better each time. Yeah. Because that's it's a very short list. Yes, and I can't think is. of any right now. I can't either. You know, and over the last several years, we thought, you know, you go back just a few, well, it's more than a few now, to uh, Fury Road. Mm-hmm. And at the time, we said, oh, this is one of the greatest action movies ever It's made. the greatest action Still movie ever Still hold true to that. Well, boy, this one is yeah, right up it there. It is. This is this is easily the best action movie I have seen in years. Since in then. In many years. Probably. Yeah. I think you're right. I think this is... I think this is... The best action film I've seen since Fury Road. Yeah. yeah. And and if this turns out to be 
the last one or the last one for Keanu Reeves because another thing about this movie is they kind of they kind of leave wiggle room to maybe take it off in another direction with some other characters. Right. So that remains to be seen. But if, if this if this turns out to be the last one for this incarnation, boy, what a way to go out. And uh, you can find it everywhere and it is John, And you should. And you should. Big screen. John Wick chapter 4. But if that is not your bag, let's go in a different direction. Uh, this is new from writer-director Zach Braff, and it follows Allison, whose life falls apart following her involvement in a fatal accident. It's called A Good Person. Can you tell me where my pills are? You're not in pain anymore. I need help. Allison, don't run away now because of me. There are thousands of meetings. I'll find another one. Well, somehow you found your way to this one. Staring space. I don't know how to do this. Takes work. I'm here to try. You were in the car. I was. How could you bring her into our house? Would you like to stay for dinner? What? I got one of those audio books on how to talk to a team. How's that working out? <gasps> Get out! I am so not going to talk about sex with my grandfather. Really? Because I just love this stuff. I'm in way over my head. <laughs> Everybody's on board, right, that Florence Pugh is uh, in a class almost by herself, right? I mean, we all embrace that she is a phenomenal talent, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You should. Um, and this was written and directed by Zach Braff for her before mm-hmm. they broke up. Mm-hmm. And he clearly knows how good yeah. she is because it's a pretty well done movie anyway, but she really elevates it. And it's it's really it's really poignant. Um, it's a story of Allison, as I said in the synopsis there, played by Florence Pugh. And she is getting ready to get married and she is driving the car when two members of the of the family that she's going to marry into, they're they're heading into the city, into New York. They live in Jersey. They're heading in to look at wedding dresses, and there she's driving when there's a fatal car accident, and both of those passengers get killed, and she does not. So she has to survive, obviously, with that guilt and depression, and then because she was also badly injured, they give her opioids, and she gets hooked on them. So then, really, that's what the movie becomes. It becomes a story of, of healing and, and addiction. And as I said on TV this morning, anyone who has ever had, as, as I have, someone close to them struggle with addiction, you see these movies and, and often they're less than honest yes. about how hard of a road it is to come back. Hard. And this does not shy away from that, how hard it is with the character and with Florence Pugh's characterization because she is really, really good. She is. And, and this reminds you of how good she is. I mean, Zach. Braff has written her a good part, and she does not waste it at all. And then once the character enters into a 12-step program, she runs into Morgan Freeman's character, and he is also in the family that she was going to marry into. And she didn't know that he was in her 12-step program, mm-hmm. and she wants to leave it once she, once she uh, sees that he's in there. But they stay together, and they and they bond that way because he has been a long-time recovered alcoholic and then that gets her back in the family in the in the family and they're not maybe happy to see her because there's a lot of feelings there you know yeah they, of course she cost them uh, whether you blame her or not whether she was at fault or not and that is a question that the movie addresses 
uh, two members of their family. So there's a lot of heavy drama, and there's a lot of honesty, I think, and poignancy, and, and good on Zach Braff for that. The, it And, and the, the things that the movie does well only sort of draws attention to the times when it doesn't. Uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something will be written and directed more like more like a TV sitcom. We're like, right. what? wow, that just doesn't seem real. That doesn't seem authentic. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of thuds into the, the rest of the honesty that the, the movie is able to mine. But uh, all in all, I think it's it's a really solid effort. I don't know how long it's been now. Since, I think Zach Braff, in the last few years, it seemed like, really, he's just been doing those commercials. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but this is a really, it's a well-done movie. And uh, it's elevated, of course, by the acting because... Another one of the uh, well, you got Molly Shannon also that plays her mom. Lovely. Always great to see Molly Always. Shannon, and you've got um, a young actress named Celeste O'Connor who we saw in Freaky, mm-hmm. and then we just saw her in uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Okay, and she's she's very she plays the youngest daughter uh, of the family, and the, her guardianship is taken over by her grandfather Morgan Freeman, and in the scenes with. The three of them, Florence Pugh, Morgan, Morgan Freeman, and and Celeste O'Connor. She it's not that she's bad, but they are so they good. are so good. It's it's tough, mm-hmm. it's, and you know she, she'll get there. You know she's got a good start, but boy, the two of them are really, really good together. And and credit Zach Braff because he does he does do a good job with the material. And despite a few a few kinks in the armor, right? It's a well done movie and honest about the hard hard road back from addiction and depression and guilt and 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 just healing. So yeah, if John Wick is not your thing, uh, and this is a really meaningful drama that uh, is well done, and that is called A Good Person. And it is out in theaters now. Another drama next, international, a foreign language film. A 25-year-old French woman returns to Korea, the country she was born in, before being adopted by a French couple. For the very first time, she decides to track down her biological parents, but her journey takes a surprising turn in Return to Seoul. There's another great performance. Another great performance. And a first-time performance. Uh, the lead the lead actress here playing Frederic, or Freddie, is Park Jae-min. And from what I read, this is her first acting, on-screen acting gig, but she's been a, a visual artist for many years. And I think that gives her a leg up here. And it's a really great debut performance. The co-writer and director is Davy Chow. And it's a real compelling really sort of relentlessly compelling character study of her character, Freddie, but also of culture, because once she comes back to Seoul there, she's sort of caught between these two cultures. She she almost, from the minute we meet her, she's intentionally upending and pushing against the societal expectations of her heritage, because she hasn't grown up there. She wants to come back and just, and just sort of show them, I don't have to live like this, mm-hmm. where she's got a friend there, a Korean friend, who, who reminds her that would quietly reminds her, but you're, you're also Korean. Mm-hmm. And, and that's very interesting, as she has to try to sort of toe the line, because when she does reach out to the agency that handled her adoption as a baby, and they have their, their laws, their ways of doing things that she has to abide by as far as reaching out to the parents who she finds are no longer together. Both her mother and her father have very different reactions to the possibility of meeting her, and I'll, and I'll leave it at that. But it becomes a fascinating journey of how she is trying to find herself. And uh, David Chow, the writer, direct, co-writer, director, then will move, all of a sudden will incrementally move the 
narrative ahead. One year, five years, and you find that this this short trip to Seoul started out as like a two-week vacation, turns into she stays there. Mm-hmm. And the journey that her character takes, and she can be hard to like. She can push people away at a moment's notice, even people that she appears to care for. And she goes to from interesting job to interesting job. And it's just it's a fascinating character. And uh, this, this uh, performer, Park Jaimin, finds a way to sort of challenge the the camera frame with with her with her movements with with her physical acting but then find a way to keep the humanity and and implore you not to abandon the character mm-hmm. because she she'll make it worthwhile so it's fascinating it is fascinating and you she tells her her adoptive mother in France that she only ended up back in Seoul because she had planned a trip to Japan that got diverted because of a typhoon and she sort of ended up there quote, by surprise. Whether that's true or not, that's the story she tells. But it's sort of like she's she's embodies the typhoon. You know this is leading, this is going to lead to a big emotional release and a catharsis, and it does. And it is very touching. It's almost the end of the film, but it is very touching and emotional, and it is a really, it's a worthwhile ride, um, as long as you know. It's it's very heavy heavy drama, like a good person is. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't have those clunky moments, I think, that a good person does, but this is just solid, really, from start to finish. Uh, a character study first, but also what it has to say about the culture, and also uh, it finds a way to kind of toe a, a tricky line that is between just the view of this character and also a more a more universal view of the experience of Korean adoptees. Um, so it's not pretending to speak for them all, but at the same time it's not shying away from, hey, this is the sort of thing that a lot of people have to deal with. So it's interesting on both of those counts, and well done and uh, recommended. And it is out in theaters this week called Return to Seoul. And another international film next, a drama romance with a father suffering from neurodegenerative disease. A young woman lives with her eight-year-old daughter. While struggling to secure a decent nursing home, she runs into an unavailable friend with whom she embarks on an affair. This is the latest from Leah Sidhu uh, in writer-director Mia Hansen Love's One Fine Morning. Leah Sadu is pretty much always good. Yes, she is. Whether she's doing the James Bond series or a, or, or something for Wes Anderson mm-hmm. or a more heavy introspective drama like this. And actually, you know, it's interesting because I feel like this film gives her an opportunity to perform in a way other films have not. Mm-hmm. She has sort of an icy, aloof, distant persona in most of her films, if I may say so, films directed by men. Not that they're bad. I love her in those movies. But uh, but in this film, um, she's very raw and open and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen a lot of... I've not seen her in a character like this before. Wow. Um, and the, the film, you know, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, of you know, Kelly Reichert film or, or even a Claire Denis in that... The it's not the it's not the typical uh, beats of a narrative that you are expecting. The structure is still there. It's just that the filmmaker is relying on the smaller moments that maybe wouldn't normally make it into the story Mm -hmm. to tell you the same story. So instead of like hitting all of the major highlights of a narrative, 
it's kind of skipping the highlights of the narrative, honestly, and it's and it's spending some time in those moments you wouldn't normally see in a film. I find that kind of filmmaking fascinating and l- really beautifully refreshing. And uh, all of the performances in this movie are really great. And it's it's really it's about a woman who's little by little losing pieces of herself, and then sort of uh, you know trying to I don't know reorganize who she is as a person. As she addresses that. That's interesting because the movie we were just talking about, Return to Soul, also has a, a lot to do with a search for identity and finding out who, in, in a different way. Right. But they, they sound like they tread some similar similar ground. I think that you're probably right. It's just, you know, it's, it is, um, it's just a movie that kind of you sit with and it sits with you and it, it's quite memorable and lovely and sad and just littered with beautiful performances. Well, it's interesting you also bring up that that type of filmmaking because here in the last oh, year or so, you remember there's there's been conversation about that new ranking of the all-time greatest films and at the top of that list it was Gene Dielman mm-hmm. was and that's that movie is famous for yeah. being that way. Mm-hmm. Just just moments in a woman's life. Yeah. That's all it is. So maybe because you make good comparisons Kelly Reichert mm-hmm. and Claire Denis, mm-hmm. If you let it in, yeah. it can be very very compelling. Yeah. If you get away from the idea that well something has to always be happening. Yeah, cuz the thing is, it is still happening. It is, you know, and in and in real life, it still takes you the same places, but yeah. you it doesn't it's not marked by all of these very specific telegraphed high notes. Right. Yeah, it's just a great movie. Yeah, and of course, it helps when you have a, a performer in the lead to carry it. Yeah. Like Leah Sadu, yeah. who is uh good as always and that is out in theaters this weekend as well called One Fine Morning. Next up is a documentary, really, that first was on the scene a couple of years ago. I don't know what its you know release schedule has been, but now it's getting a wider release, and that is a good thing for film fans. A documentary, a rare and transcendent journey into the life and films of the legendary Stanley Kubrick, like we've never seen before, featuring a treasure trove of unearthed interview recordings from the master himself. It's called Kubrick by Kubrick. Well, I mean, in a work of fiction, you have to have conflict. If there isn't a problem in a story, it can almost by definition not be a story. A good story that you're making in a film is a miracle. And, you know, it's very hard to work miracles. And if Stanley trusts you, if he trusts you, you're all right. If he doesn't, beware. We did 105 takes on this thing, and take two was perfect. I've never done more than, say, 15 takes before in my life. Directing a movie, if you try to do it properly, is not always fun. I feel like nobody really remembers very... I mean, there were so few interviews yeah. with Kubrick. There are a million documentaries <laughs> of, like, you know, this is what I think he meant when he did this. But just to have one, what a treasure trove yeah. of real interviews from him. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that they use that... That uh, phrase, treasure trove, in the in the synopsis, because it's. A, I'm not sure how much. That's one of the things about this documentary. It makes you. It makes you wonder how much or how little there there was, because this documentary is. Only, it's barely an hour long, right? And it's by uh, Gre- uh, Gregory Monroe is the documentarian, and it's based on interviews conducted by French film critic Michel Cement, who it says had access to Kubrick and in interviews over several years, but yet. There's really not that much of the actual interviews that is used in this documentary. There's a lot of padding. It's good padding mm-hmm. because it's padding from some great films 
of his, his 13, parts of his 13 films, and then interviews with other people that he worked with, lots of actors. You've got, of course, Jack Nicholson, you know, Sterling Hayden, um, Malcolm McDowell, and more. And then you've got some other, some crew members that were <laughs> had some run-ins with his legendary perfectionism. <laughs> so it's a lot of good padding, but it doesn't seem like there there must not have been that much material that the director felt was usable mm. because you one of the one of the I guess downfalls about the documentary is you you want more right by the end of it even like that even about the his legendary perfectionism and his penchant for so many takes isn't really addressed by he himself hmm. you think that I'd like to hear him explain himself about that <laughs> you know why he wanted to do that but it's still especially for for film fans for Kubrick fans yeah just the chance to hear him talk about his films and on and the one thing the first thing that struck me is the sound of his voice because over these years you get you know he lived over in england so you get caught up in that well he must have been english or french or something no he's a native new yorker right and it just kind of <laughs> struck me as it doesn't really fit at that his voice and he's just he's very matter of fact sentences that just no nonsense well this is the way or else you're an idiot <laughs> um, so it's fascinating to hear him talk about his own films especially horror fans especially is just no nonsense, not in the rabbit hole at all approach to The Shining. Wow. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, there's been documentaries made on three. Yeah. I can think of three documentaries of just theories about yeah. what he meant with The Shining. Yeah, you watch this and you think, no, I don't think he meant any of that. He meant that it was a ghost story, people. <laughs> but yeah, so just the fact that even if it's for an hour or or the cumulative time that you actually hear his voice is maybe, I don't know, 25 minutes or whatever. Whatever right. it is, it still is worth it. You do want more because when you haven't gotten the chance, you've gotten no chances very over the, these many years to hear from him talk about his own catalog, um, it's worth it. And the, the pre presentation is pretty interesting. The director, he, he sort of anchors the whole thing in a recreation of the 2001 hotel suite that is adorned with mementos and posters. That's a cool idea. From his catalog, and it sort of moves around the room like you might on a on an old DVD, where, okay, I want to go to this movie now, click there. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, that that's sort of sort of cool. And if you're, if you're a Kubrick fan at all, or just a, a film fan at all, it's it's definitely worth it to hear from, from Kubrick himself and to hear from some of his most famous collaborators. So seek it out. It's getting a, a wider release. Well, it's available on uh, Prime Video and a bargain. Which is three ninety nine, just an hour. Kubrick by Kubrick. Check it out. Let's go back to theaters and VOD. This is day and date for a mystery thriller. It follows a tutor who, after being assigned an unexpected task at a mansion, finds himself struggling with the obsessions of his student who threatens to expose his darkest secrets in the tutor. He's obsessed with me in a total stalker sort of way. How do you know about the baby? He's obsessed with me in a total stalker sort of way. Jackson, hi, I'm Annie. Ethan, Ethan's told me a lot about you. You must be a really special person. This needs to stop right now. You've been accused of assaulting Jackson. He's scared of you. There are some pretty substantial bruises on his leg. Jackson gave himself those bruises. I need this job. I have a baby on the way. I'm gonna have to let you go. How was your evening, Ethan? Lost everything, thanks to you. You stay away from my family, or I'll hurt you.
The mystery is why did they make Garrett Hedlund look so ugly in this movie? <laughs> now, here's a guy, I'll be honest, when he came on the scene, yeah. not impressed no. at all. Seemed like a pretty boy, but he has impressed me Agreed. over Agreed. the last yeah. years. He has, he's really done some some fine work. And he's interesting in this movie, as is his co-star, his turtlenecked co-star, Noah Schnapp, as the student. It's a little bit by the numbers. You kind of know where things were going. But it really nails the era. It nails kind of the tone. And uh, and also, Garrett Hedlund gets more and more unhinged as the movie progresses. And it, it makes it a fun watch. And this was reviewed by Christy Robb mm-hmm. on MadWolf.com. This also features, for you, you former Nickelodeon watchers, Victoria Justice, who had her own Nickelodeon show for a while. I think our son might have had it on a couple of times down there. But the, she's in the cast as well. But the, yeah, check out Christie's full review at MadWolf.com. And she thought there was some something uh, worthwhile here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that is out in theaters and VOD now uh, called The Tudor. And one more this week, a sequel to a TV movie from 30 years ago. This finds the same actresses from Chantilly Lace, Linda Yellen's groundbreaking Sundance hit, returning to bring their characters to life in Chantilly Bridge. And the new one travels back and forth between the films, the characters' memories imploding on the present. Chantilly Bridge. I found my life's work. It's a second chance. What did we say? We will get there. If you could be born a man, would you be? No. Be nice to be able to pee standing up, though. <laughs> I think you're the only older woman I know that still wants to have sex. It makes me feel so great. And why wouldn't everybody want to do it? You have a conviction that at a certain age you should have it all together. But then you get older and you keep moving the goalpost. There is a land of the living and a land of the dead. And the bridge is love. The only survival. The only meaning. Yeah, I admit this TV movie that missed us from yeah. 1993. I had not heard of it. But look at this cast. You got Talia Shire, Lindsey Krauss, Ali Sheedy, Jill Eikenberry, Joe Beth Williams, Helen Slater, also uh, Patricia Richardson, who went on to fame uh, on Home Improvement. I mm-hmm. mean, it's a, it's a stacked cast, and many of them are coming back from the first one. And as Linda Yellen, the co-writer and, and director, updates it. And you can find the full review. This is reviewed at MadWolf.com by Tori Haynes. And she she was sort of in the middle. She found frustrating parts of it, but also worthwhile parts of it. Yeah, and it's funny. Uh, as the film progresses, the things that irritated her in the beginning by the end she was like oh i'm so dumb i didn't get it so if it if you have that if you give it a go and you're thinking no i stick it out because it's going to work but you have to watch the whole thing for it to work yeah she she really appreciated the chemistry of all the actresses mm-hmm. and that it felt improvisational in a good way but the fact that she was not aware as we weren't no. of the original film I think she thought the the movie expects you to be more familiar than you are, and right. that can be frustrating. Right. Yeah, but you can check out her full review for Chantilly Bridge, which is on VOD now. Check out that full review at MadWolf.com. It's kind of like how in John Wick 4, if you've never seen any of the other John Wicks, you're wondering to yourself, why does he keep pulling up his lapel when people <laughs> shoot at him? That would seem silly if you didn't know that his suit is made of Kevlar. Yeah, it's just like that. <laughs> All right, let's head to the lobby for some knowledge. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. 
Time to check back into the lobby, see what's cooking with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, checking all the latest news. What's happening? Well, you know, as we all know, um, theater chains are looking for reasons to get people back in, more than just whatever blockbuster from month to month that they've got. Sure. And uh, Regal Cinemas has been doing a Mystery Movie Monday about once a month ever since fall. And what it is is you show up, you pay $5, there's also a concession discount, and you plop down in a seat, and you have no idea what you're going to see other than the <laughs> fact that it's a movie that hasn't come out yet. Oh, so it hasn't come out yet. That's that's yeah, different. Okay. That's the kicker. Now, All right. They'll, they'll tell you what the rating is in advance. They will give you an, a running time, but it's never accurate. So <laughs> you, can't, you can't look around on IMDb and try and figure out exactly uh, which movie it will be. I got you. Okay. Going over pretty well? It seems to be doing very well for them because they keep getting more and more studios participating in mm. it. Um, it started out, it was just Apple because they did Greatest Beer Run Ever and Spirited were the first two. But they picked up uh, Sony's Missing and um, Universal's Champions. And then earlier this week, they showed IFC's Paint. Oh, okay. Yeah, that'd be fun. Well, well, they've set their next date. It is Monday, April 3rd. This time it's going to be an R-rated movie. Ooh. Usually it's a film that comes out either later that week or sometime within the next two or three weeks. So the interesting possibilities this time, it could be Guy Ritchie's Military Thriller, The Covenant. It could be one of the April horror movies like Renfield, The Pope's Exorcist, or Evil Dead Rise. Mm. Or, or it could be Tony Collette's mob comedy, uh, Mafia Mama. So, like oh. I said, interesting choices. And this is this is Regal? It's Regal, yeah. Okay, all right. Good, de- good so, deal. Monday, April 3rd at 7 p.m. at your local Regal. All righty. And then on May 5th, uh, Lionsgate is releasing the action movie One Ranger on VOD and in select theaters. Uh, this one stars Thomas Jane and John Malkovich, and the trailer is basically selling it like a hyper-violent mashup between Brannigan and Coogan's Bluff. So I'm kind of sold on that one. Yeah, sounds good. Hitting Cedars on July 28th is an, a uh, horror festival darling from A24 called Talk to Me. I know a lot of people are looking forward to that one. And then there's a male stripper comedy called Back on the Strip that arrives in theaters on August 18th. Hillary Swank's, uh, Hillary Swank and Alan Richardson have a drama from uh, Lionsgate called Ordinary Angels that is arriving in theaters on October 13th. And then Ridley Scott's Gladiator 2 is about to go into production ahead of a November 2024 release. Uh, the previous casting announcements were Oscar nominees Paul Meskel and Barry Keegan. But, you know, the kind of the big question is, how do you get audiences excited for a decade later sequel to Gladiator that doesn't have Joaquin Phoenix or Russell Crowe? Yeah. The answer is you cast Denzel Washington in one of the main roles. Mm-hmm. So that's good. That's happening. <laughs> And Jordan Peele's next film has been announced for a Christmas 2024 release date. Uh, don't have a title or know what it is yet, but after his last few, kind of want to show up for it no matter what it is. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and the other big news this week is that Apple is going to be pumping $1 billion annually into making original films going forward, and the majority of them are actually expected to get wide theatrical releases that will remain in theaters exclusively for at least a month before they hit streaming. So combined with the fact that Amazon made a similar plan um, public recently, it looks like we're kind of about to see a major shift in release strategies for the big streaming studios going forward. Mm, Kind of makes me wonder if Netflix will follow suit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good question. And that's all the news I have for you this week. As always, thank you. And you can catch up with uh, Daniel at The Schlocketeer on socials. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you.
Well, looking ahead to next week, much like this week, one big one coming next week, and we've already gotten a chance to see this, and this will be fun to talk about uh, next week. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Also, Malum, which we got to see and we'll have fun talking about. I like this next title, Smoking Causes Coughing. <laughs> That's Quentin Depew. <laughs> <laughs> Tetris. The Unhears. And I'm an Electric Lampshade. All right. See if they can back that up. That's next week, though. What do you think, though? You want to talk John Wick? Cool. Or a good person, return to soul, anything. We're always up for it. Keep this conversation going. Easy to do on Twitter. You can find us at Mad Wolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast new episode about to drop by the way about makeup effects in horror such a good one Fun. that's all at madwolf.com so keep in touch if you can enjoy the movies until next week she is hope madden he's george wolf and this is the screening room podcast see ya i do wish we could chat longer but i'm having an old friend for dinner bye okay everybody that's a wrap <laughs>